everyone, welcome to the Doctors of Running podcast uh, YouTube, where a we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, talk about the art and the science of the things that we and you are putting on your feet. Today, I am extremely excited to have Andrea Paulson from Saucony join me, and we're going to have a phenomenal conversation. I am so looking forward to this. So, Andrea, why don't you introduce us and tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll go from there. Absolutely. It's so great to be here, Matt. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, <clears throat> I'm Andrea Paulson, and I'm the Vice President of Product Engineering and Human Performance at Saucony. That is a mouthful of a title. <laughs> so uh, simply put, I, I lead two separate and unique functional divisions um, that might not seem like they have a lot to do with each other, but but in actuality, I think they, they really work hand-in-hand in, hand in the product creation process. Um, so Product engineering, that's a, it's a catch-all division. So we'll work on everything from the technical CAD builds, so that's computer animated design, uh, programs like Rhino and SolidWorks, uh, management of all the molded parts, so midsoles, outsoles, plates, counters, um, and anything that needs to be cast or, or requires tooling. Uh, the design, building, manufacturing, um, in management of all lasts. Uh, so that's the shoe shape, uh, the fit profile that every shoe that's made is built on. Um, and then the bread and butter of, of what product engineering does is um, we handle most of the things that you'd probably consider advanced concepts or future technologies. So all the materials innovation and, and manufacturing innovation. And then on the flip side, Human performance side is is pretty much self evident, right? It's it's probably much more familiar to to you guys and and your audience. But um, Saucony has a human performance lab, and we'll do all the mechanical, biomechanical, um, personal preference testing uh, across all product, and, and that's where we we separate the empirical and, and anecdotal data. Matt, I know how much you love your subjective data, um, but there's a there's a fair amount of it that needs to be filtered between all the <laughs> Instrumented treadmills and VO2 maxes and stuff, but <laughs> just I'm not I guess, judging at all. <laughs> <laughs> just to sort of wrap up, I guess the 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 lab in engineering are what we call category agnostic functions. So um, we'll work on everything in all product silos. So we'll be working on a, a walking shoe outsole, a, a trail line midsole, a competition sprint bike, or like a marathon racing shoe. And, and sometimes we'll work on them sort of combination, all of them all at once. Um, but it's also where all the cool and expensive toys live. So all the scanners and 3D printers and motion capture systems, et cetera. So that's, that's sort of a wrap. That's awesome. And we're going to talk about a couple of those, but yeah, I, I totally understand. And trying to merge those, trying to under, merge like the subjective component with the objective component can be so difficult sometimes just because there's so much importance that goes into the subjective feel of a shoe. But then you also got to look at the objective stuff and people like to get into camps of one or the other, but it's trying to marry that, that that's, that's the beauty and that's the key, which is also incredibly difficult, but awesome that that is one of the many amazing th things that you do so we are going to geek out on this episode because that's what we like doing and so based on that just a heads up after we talk about some of the things that we're going to what we want our listeners and our viewers to think about our subjective question of the day is when you're looking at running shoes what measurements are you looking at what's really important to you do you look at things like weight or drop, or you want to know width and things like that. What kind of measurements are you interested in, either that you do look for or you would like to look for? So that's our subjective question. Leave that in the comments below. We'd really, really appreciate that. So, Andrea, let's start out with one of the one of the big things, our big topic, and one of the really exciting things that we always talk about: stability. So we we got to test the Saucony Tempest. You knew this was going to come up. It's like I the did. first thing, right? So. <laughs> there's a lot of things that are evolving right now. When we talk about measurements, the way we either measure things or the way we quantify or the way we do things is changing quite a bit, right? So there's, you know, the Saucony Tempest is one of the, a, a pinnacle of that. It's, it's I in my opinion, changing or really denoting a change in how we think about stability. So when you think, when you thought about stability, let's say a couple years ago versus stability now, how has that changed for you in your role? Ooh, super broad question. <clears throat> Definitely. Uh, you know, I, I think right off the bat, um, I, I think this is going to be the obje the uh, 
adjective episode. You know, I, I think there are going to be a lot of yeah. air quotes and semantics around around how yeah. I say things that's, and, that's and how, how not to say things. Because yeah. the minute the word stability gets thrown into a conversation, it's like footwear people will either dive behind desks or like jump in front of a microphone. It's such a hot top hot topic and a hot button. You know, um, you know, I, I, you guys have already spent. Um, a whole episode, right? Talking about what stability means biomechanically. So I, I don't want to belabor those points, but my perspective is, is more focused on materials. So the foams, the construction, and the geometry, and and how those variables and specifics have a knock-on effect for the individual runner. Um, it's it's less about the definition of the word stability, and it's more about the solution for the individual runner. Um, I know that's vague. I know we talked about this before. Vague is 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 just kind of how it's going to be. But I thought that was a beautiful definition. I like that. So, but <laughs> my, we also boss, deal in vagueness. So, oh, totally. My my yeah. boss, um, Sasakini's head of product, uh, is a guy named Brian Moore, and, and he likes to stay. He his perspective is that stability has evolved, evolved. Um, you know, that these changes in, in foams and manufacturing and geometry m- made way for, for products, uh, different products and approaches. And, and that, um, take this word with grain of salt, but like dinosaurs didn't just disappear. They, they actually evolved into birds. And, and I agree. And I, I think that these changes are probably here to stay and we can get into those changes, but um, that these old forms of stability are going to stick around and should stick around, right? Like like sharks in the ocean, if we're holding on to that metaphor, you know, the Omni isn't going anywhere. And I don't think it should, you know, that we, we make running shoes and provide solutions for runners. Some runners are just always going to like that traditional guidance profile. So when we talk about the Tempest, it's a little bit different, but it's also it's also just a new take on on something that has already been out there for a while. Um, and it, it's I, I totally agree with you that oftentimes people will ask like, hey, or does that mean things are going away? And I think the way of describing it is finding solution for runners and understanding that pe- I think we're getting a better understanding of how individual people are. And going, hey, this one specific method may not work for the population. That's pro- that's one of the fun things that I can imagine you get to do going, how can we figure out how to make this work for more people, right? Because we got to figure out this product. We don't want it to be, you know, it may we may need to make something niche. That's fine. But the more people we can get out to, the better. And so one of the things, you know, this really goes in line with some of the stuff we've talked about this and we always geek out on on either Ben O'Nig stuff and some of the other stuff on habitual motion pathways and comfort filters. How have you, in a very broad sense, how have you utilized some of those thoughts or has that changed a lot of what you've done recently? Or is that just going, hey, we kind of already do that. We always have. Yeah, you know, I, I think Matt Trudeau called Ben O'Nig uh, the, the godfather of, of footwear yeah. research. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a fair statement, right? Like, uh, I think some of his research is is really at the foundation of of how footwear brands build their products. So, and certainly how we test and validate them. So, um, you mentioned them, but Ben O'Nig's author authored those two papers. Um, and then basically they say, you know, get out of the way or, or don't interfere with the natural motion of, of a runner's kinetic chain. So specifically for the Tempest, uh, there were there were a few different approaches, but the idea of, I'm going to air quotes here, centering the foot onto the platform and, and not correcting anyone's gait was key. So we used a, a chassis of, of Power Run uh, EVA around the, outs, the outside templates of the midsole to to gently guide in quotations your foot back toward the center line of your trajectory and 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 over the core of power run pb we also we also did this in the uh, just released exodus ultra which i think i saw somewhere behind you at some point um there it is uh, a frame <laughs> that that's the same thing a framework of eva around the guts of piba foam um but you know I, i've heard this said a bunch and I, I think it's a fair description of things but this idea that you're you're in the shoe and and not on the shoe. Um, I, I apologize. I like metaphors, but this, the idea of like a canoe versus a a racing shell, you know, you feel much more stable in a canoe with like it's high gunnel walls and it's deep draft, but never, everybody knows you go faster in a carbon fiber rowing shell. So that's your first compromise. Do you, do you want to be stable and safe or do you want to go faster? And you know, like, 
you know, a canoe weighs a whole hell of a lot more than a, than a shell. So with the Kemp, with the Tempest, we were able to, um, get the materials and the foam technologies to really do the job here. So, so we can give you those high gunnel walls and keep the structure super light. And, and the Tempest is what sub nine ounces. So, it you know, is, that's a really yeah. light shoe. That's, that's a highly compliant, super responsive, low density foam, um, that's in the pro and the speed, um, without the traditional compromises uh, that stability used to mean. Right. And it's one of the first ones that we talked about before that's really, this is going to be an option. The Tempest is going to be an option for a lot of people you know, that may not work with some of the more aggressive shoes going, I want a marathon or half marathon or long distance racing shoe that I need just some guidance here, but I want that super foam. And it's nice to go, hey, because in the past, everybody's like, you got to make the shoes f- super firm for stability. That's the way it, it, it goes. But now talking about that idea of like getting somebody in the chassis and going, let's guide you forward is good to see going, hey, now people that might need this that may not have been able to handle a less, a, you know, more aggressive shoe. Now they can enjoy some of the super foams. Although I know, not sure if I, somebody gave me a hard time for calling them super foams the other day, but they really, I mean, in terms why? of performance and wise, I don't, I don't remember why somebody called me out on YouTube and then I was like, I think you could, these are, these are pretty solid. I think they're pretty close to super. I think, I mean, in terms of some of the things that we're seeing, be it durability totally or <laughs> yeah, yeah. With like economy changes, dur- even the durability is amazing to me is lasting this long. And I have to, I have, everybody's heard me say this a million times. The Tempest is the only shoe recently that's lasted more than 200 miles with my mechanic. So that's, a, that's amazing. I don't think any shoe in the last several years has done that. So, but it's, it's cool that you can combine all these things and that we can start seeing, Hey, how do we challenge not just the concept of stability for people that have stability needs, but maybe how do we get people moving in a more efficient way? And that's, I think where people start forgetting about these combination of foams, plates, all this stuff is how do we get people's mechanics forwards, right? And keep be efficient. So, and we, we, we geeked out on all kinds of stuff when we, when you were nice enough to invite us into Saucony, we had such a blast there. Um, we did. but obviously we got to, yeah, we had to geek out is let's talk about these foams, right? So there's been some history that have, of how these evolved and the newest stuff seems to be these Piba Pbax foams. How, what was your journey kind of looking through where these, this stuff has come from and how it's evolved? Uh, loaded question. That is the question, right? I, you know, um, <sighs> If I was to do a, a brief history of foams in five minutes, like and, and why it matters, you know, first we had we had PU, we had and then we have EVA, and then we have TPU, and and then we have PIBA, right? And I, I, honestly, I won't even talk about polyurethane. Like Sockety doesn't really use it, and you know, while it has some good characteristics, there are some really hard knocks against it in re- regards to weight and responsiveness, and like poor hydrolysis, for example. Like it doesn't it doesn't behave well when exposed to water, which can be a problem for running shoes in a caveat here, right? Like everything I mentioned has exceptions. So this is a 30 second rundown. So the chemists out there can cut me some slack, but you know, painting a picture, you know, I think everybody knows EVA or ethylene vinyl acetate. It's, it's the incumbent material. I think everybody's familiar with it. I think their comfort levels and are pretty high with the material. And I, I think the, the average runner might not know the exact chemical compound, but I, I think they recognize the name and perhaps that it's been the standard for running shoes for, I would say, most of the 80s, 90s, and 3000s. But even EVA, so just, just talking about EVA, started changing dramatically 10 years ago. So there are these additives that can be blended into EVA to make them perform much better. So we can increase durability. We can make them less sensitive to temperature and, and um, we can make them lighter um, and we can make them more resilient or res- re- responsive, right? And here's where those semantics are going to come out again. You know, res- responsive is a stand-in word for like pop or bounce or, or rebound. Um, it means everything. And, and yet at the same time, it's, it's incredibly vague. It means nothing. But but back to the EVAs, the, there, there are these things called OBCs or olefin block copolymers um, that have radically changed EVA and, and blends and allowed them to, to become better performing and, and offer more compliancy. That's another word you'll probably hear a lot of. I know you guys spoke with uh, with Jeff Burns a while ago and, and a lot of this stuff in a, in a previous episode, but the idea that you can, you can process these TPEs in, in a new way is really what started to change the game because from those changes is what brought in those TPUs and those PIBAs. And I sort of want to pause there actually and, and, 
and maybe ask you or or kind of lead into the differences between the PIBAs and, and TPUs, but it's almost more important um, how these materials are made and not just the types of materials. So just to, to downshift and come with me on a, in a rabbit hole here, um, you know, we have compression molding, we have injection molding, we have steam chest molding, um, which is really a culmination of, of extruding the material into a fine string and then chopping it into beads and then molding those beads. Um, and now we have supercritical foaming or SCF or SCP supercritical process. And that's so very en vogue right now. Everybody wants to talk about SCPs. Um, but I, I think a lot of people know that it's new and it's special, but maybe not why. Um, and SCP foams are unique because of the blowing agent and, and it's physical, not chemical. Um, and it's also typically introduced in an autoclave or you, you can call it a vacuum oven um, with heat and bar. And what this allows for is like very uniform cellular structure inside the foam um, because the gas is introduced at, at this like perfect glass transition temperature. And all that is a whole bunch of fancy words to, to mean that the cellular structure is super consistent um, and it's combined with these newer, lighter, more bouncy resins and it creates a midsole with incredible uh, performance characteristics. But something I sort of need to back up and mention is that our power MPB uses SCP beads. So as they're extruded, those beads are actually foamed in SCP. So, um, so we have incredible cellular consistency inside of the bead skin without any of those weight compromises. So that's that's not really a sales pitch for the material. That's just an added bit of science. But when you ask, okay, well, how did you end up at, <laughs> how did you end up with Power Run PB and Power Run around it? It's a much longer conversation about the history of foam and then how we test those foams to figure out where best to use them. That's um, sort of a rundown maybe no that makes sense and that's it's hopefully what what helps the listeners understand is that and the viewers is that this is so much more complicated than just pu or eva or tpu or piba because there's any that what you do with that material then totally changes that right so how you start messing with that material where you put it the the geometry of the shoe it's it's foam is important but also what you do with it is really important. And the follow-up is trying to figure out how the body is going to respond when you actually put it underneath somebody's feet, which is the whole other interesting topic. Yeah. And, and you guys do such a great job talking about that. You know, there's, there's no magic bullet. Um, there's no silver bullet. You, you're not, you're not going to have one shoe be one thing to everybody. Um, so you have to look at what works best for the runner and, and, and their personal use case. But yeah, you know, going back to what you were saying about the foams and, and how we use them, I, I think an interesting segue might be to talk about how, how we test them. Um, you know, it, it's foam testing is, is not the sexy part of product creation. It's mechanical, it's analytical, it's really dry science. So, um, the, you know, we, we, we have, you guys were in the office and you saw, but we have um, a mechanical room with two Instron machines and, and we'll do testing on one that's, that's really more simple testing, like three point bend test. So you'll, you'll see the um, longitudinal stiffness between two stanchions and you can measure the, the deflection of, of a midsole or a plate or something like that. But uh the, the real nitty gritty stuff is is done on the other Instron, which is, you know, it's a, it's an electric, electromagnetically driven piston and, and we use it to repeatedly whack. Yeah, we use it to just whack a piece of prototype foam or, or a shoe even. And the piston is, is a really sensitive piece of equipment though. It's, it, it's measuring the forces on the downstroke as, as well as the upstroke. So um, this isn't really IP, it's, it's, this isn't intellectual property, but the, the methodology is, is roughly this. So you, you have a piece of foam, it used to be 20 millimeters thick um, because that was the average thickness, uh, midsole thickness under the calcaneus. But obviously, uh, we need to consider, uh, higher thicknesses now that, uh, that has really changed. And yeah. no kidding. Right. Yep. 
And but we take this foam and we apply pressures uh, to simulate, um, say, a 170-pound runner going 830 pace, and the machine will spit out a stress-strain curve, and we'll we'll see how stiff the material is. Um, it's elastic modulus, so it's resistance to deformity, and among other things, how much energy re- is absorbed and how much energy is returned. So, energy return is the really exciting stuff. If you take nothing away from today's conversation but this, like polymer science is incredible right now. Um, we're seeing things I never thought possible. You know, these these new materials can return upwards of 90% the energy put into them. That's insane. Your ears should be bleeding your brains. You know, six to eight years ago, a low 80s number would be really good. And, you know, we have materials that we have a material that is 95% efficient, meaning it, it gives you back 95% of what you put into it. Now, obviously, that's that's the material score only, and it changes when you, you build a shoe around it. But the laws of physics say you can't get to 100. And this is at a really low density, and it weighs almost nothing, and you get back almost all that you put into it. It's it's incredible. So let's say 10, 15, 20 years ago, what were some of like say some of the were those EVA or like the some of the older foams? What were those giving back? Yeah, 10, just 15, for comparison, it probably wasn't too much. It wasn't too much lower, you know, high seventies. You know, it, you go back even further, and it's going to be low, low seventies, maybe under seventy. So this so the idea that. There are some dramatic changes in recent times is is a lot of it is coming from this polymer science side of things. Plates have been issues for a long time. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> this is, we, this, I always appreciate hearing this because we have a lot of people that comment going, it's all about the plate. We've already seen the research, right? The plates that we know tend to more stabilize the foams. It's the foams that are the sexy part. And I, I just don't, you know, it's one of those things I think you and I both know this, but helping people understand just from a, a the the impact of having a 20% increase in energy return is like is mind blowing going from you know that 70% ish to now being in the 90s and having tons of things out there that are that are in the 90s and even that that those small percentages getting up 90s to 95% is nuts it's just it yeah so that's the foams are incredible what people are doing with them experimenting yeah you were saying yeah, no, I, I'm totally in agreement with you. And, and you know, plates are a piece of the puzzle, like you said. It's it's an important part, but, you know, read some of Walter Hukomer's papers and you can see that, that plates are, at times, not doing as much as everybody thinks that they are. Um, and, and the idea that... Um, these these incremental well it's not really incremental they're exponential uh, improvements in these foams you know we we can correlate them much like the 100 grams equals 1% in energy human energy efficiency um, we can correlate that about 5% of of energy efficiency to in a foam and in a shoe equates to about 1% of energy efficiency for the human um, i should say oxygen uptake. This is a good conversation right. for Corey, our biomechanist, because yeah. you know the, the, I think the language that people use around energy efficiency and um, you know RER and oxygen uptake is very confusing. So that's <laughs> yeah. it's a, making for- sure that everybody's on the same conversation uh, points there is important. But um, here, here's, here's an interesting thing for you, Matt. These, these materials are really compliant. They're really soft. They're incredibly squishy springs. Um, but if when you when you load a spring, right, it compresses and then it releases. But but foams have some viscoelastic response. So meaning there's there's dwell involved. So an extreme example would be like a, a memory foam mattress. You know, if you press your hand into it, you know, you take your hand away, it'll slowly rebound backfill. These foams all do that as well, but on like a millisecond level. So I'll, I'll be a little guarded here, but like we look at how these foams, we look at how these foams react to how you toggle those initial inputs. So if say it's a 100 pound runner instead of a 170 pound runner or a 420 pace instead of an 830 pace, what changes? Now, I'm not suggesting um, we approach product design that way or consumer sales that way, but what if we did? 
you know, what, what, what's going on there? I like where you're going. So correct me if I'm wrong. What it seems like is, is asking questions like how much is each runner compressing this? And I think we talked about this as going, who's going to get more from this? And how is that shoe going to respond? Who maybe might get more in return, depending on the weight of the runner, how much force they're putting into the ground, how much they're going to compress the foams. If somebody's super light on their feet, are they going to get that same energy return from somebody who slams into the ground? And then the follow-up question is, how long is that energy return going to last? Because we do know all foams tend to compress and you start losing some of that resiliency. And you be careful with that, that word, meaning how much does it bounce back? And so that's a big, big question is how, again, going back to what we talked about earlier, what you so, so amazingly said, like trying to figure out how to best serve the needs of the runner with people that are so different that's really hard, right? Because people are going to, res- that's the other part of the co- equation is going, we, you're creating this foam and shoe, but how is each person going to respond to that shoe? And that's challenging, right? Because then you, uh, somebody that's 100 pounds versus somebody that's say 200 pounds, even if they had the same gait, the same gait mechanics, there's going to be very different forces going through the shoe and how does that affect performance? So that goes into my my question of, go- yeah, go for it. No, 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 I was, please, you're on a roll. I was just saying it, it but gait, Gait is never the same. So you have people with different gaits. You have to fit, you know, heel strikers, forefoot strikers, larger runners, smaller riders, quicker cadences, slower cadences, longer ground contact time. It just go, continues. So I'm sure you right. had a good question. Sorry. Yeah, no, that was, and it's even more on that is all of those things are going to vary based on muscle timing, based on biomechanics and all these things. And for the listeners and viewers out there, for those that don't know this, your gait is more unique than your fingerprint. It is that specific to each person that people are so different with how they move. Just yep, over however many years you've been around on this planet, that it's you are going to pick up something totally different from somebody else. And that's what I really love. A lot of the students in, in different like movement professions, they'll you know they're you know the students are progressing well they, when they can tell their classmates based on their gait. I'm like okay, good, you're getting that. This is good. But yeah, my 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 question goes into how do you, this is super broad. How do you account for that? What do you, you know, when you're designing a shoe, how do you account for that? Or is that something you got to go, Hey, we just got to see what the average consumer is versus the elite. Is there a kind of, is this a super broad question that can't be answered in like, in like a five minute conversation or is it yeah, kind of, <laughs> there's some principles. No, kind of, yeah. um, it, it sort of goes back. And again, this is a super vague answer. So I, I yeah. apologize, but it was a really you know, vague question. So to be fair, <laughs> we, we make, we, we have to make shoes to suit a lot of different running styles and gates and needs. Um, so what we will try and do is, is make product that will behave differently for different runners subsets. And I know that's vague. Um, but the intent is to have different, that's why a pro and a speed exist. I I think that's probably the, the best realization of a, of what you're asking is, they're very similar, um, especially, you know, in terms of the material and the stance and everything else, but they're also very different because of the plate and the different um, templates. The templates are obviously the difference between the one and two, uh, pro, pro and speed one and two versus the pro and speed three are a little different. We've, we've worked to maybe pull them apart a little bit further. Um, it's, it, it's, exactly why we did it because not everybody is going to love a stiffer forefoot that the pro gives you, um, but they still want the same material and they still want the same benefits. So, you know, what, what happens if we put it in a different plate? Well, let's find out what happens if a a larger runner runs in one versus the other. There's, there's no, I think a common misconception is that, uh, the, the faster runner needs the pro that's, that's a common misconception. Um, I think it has to do with how you, what, how you, <laughs> how you're landing, what your gait is, and, and all the rest. I, I, I know I've heard you, uh, you, you gentlemen say it a number of times. So, won't won't beat that horse. But <laughs> yeah, Just to remind everybody, is this again? And this is some of the stuff that came out of uh, McClode, and it was through Saucony, which is awesome. Which is like, yes, somebody's putting out research. Um, it's that you, different people respond to different me- geometries and different plate stiffnesses. Not everybody needs the stiffest thing. If you give somebody that their their mechanics are not lining up with that plate, a shoe that's super stiff, it's actually going to decrease their economy. It may cause some issues, right? Because you're creating a bend point 
where somebody may not have a joint. And if you're trying to bend something that doesn't have a joint, that's going to create problems. If something's too stiff, it's going to be like getting over a board instead of facilitating their mechanics. So some people are going to work really well with something like the Pro, where it's stiffer, it's very snappy, whereas somebody else is going to have the same, if not better, performance in something like the Speed. And it's not that one shoe is better than the other one. It's, again, going, how are we best serving the needs of this unique individual and what their mechanics match with. Yeah. Yep. And in bringing it back to the Tempest, you know, I, I think a lot of people, I read blogs just as much as everybody else does and listen to shoe reviews, etc. But the, the idea that um, something has to have a plate to be a certain speed as well is, is a misnomer. And, um, you know, one of the things with the power run chassis that goes around the Tempest is that it, it's, you know, what, what's a post? It's just the difference in hardness between two materials. They can be soft materials, but so you, you have this, this centering chassis, and as it comes down into the forefoot, it drops down along the bottom of the template and then back up, and you know, like you get these ski tip effect. And, you know, it, people might not believe me, and that's fine, but you'd be surprised what a little bit of EVA and the the cement that's necessary to hold those things together uh, will do for you in terms of, you know, creating a speed roll in that rocker effect. And again, it's not a plate and it's not, people might not believe me here either, but <laughs> it's, this isn't a replacement for the, the hurricane. I think a lot of people are like, Oh, this is the new hurricane. It's like, well, the, the, it's not a mutually exclusive answer here, but really it's a different way of looking at the speed and how do you how do you take how do you take something with these super foams and I'll use the term it's it's a super foam and and introduce um, some gentle stability into it. Um, oh, one other thing, it, you're gonna love this stack heights. So, so not to throw shade at anyone in particular, but uh, you know, I'll, I hear it all the time and I, I read it as well. You know, people, people will say, I, I won't try X shoe because it has Y heel to toe offset. It's like, that's just a premature statement. It's these new foams. They're so compliant and, the, and there's just, there's no way for someone to tell if an offset will work for them without trying the shoe on first. You know, offsets don't mean what they used to, and you have to consider the offset under load. You know, I always call it, um, we call it our effective offset. Um, I've heard you call it dynamic offset, you know, whatever the semantics, you know, it, these new foams. Same thing. Put yeah. us into a new ballpark. It's it's different conversation. And I think that goes really nicely to the thing where we were talking about, hey, what measurements do you look at when you're looking at shoes? And you got to realize that these vary. You know, definitely when it comes to heel toe offset, that a very soft foam, especially with some of these, and I think we can call them super foams. If they're getting into the 90, 95% energy return, like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I think it's, I, I feel very defended now and I appreciate being validated going, yes, we can't call this, uh, this, this, that cool. Um, but you have to realize a lot of the mechanics are going to change. It's, and if you, you know, depending on where you land, depending on how hard you're landing, that's not going to stay the same throughout your gait cycle. And so people need to realize some of these measurements are going to depend on a couple things. And, and people don't like when we say this, but the best thing you can do is get it on your foot. And that's when you know if it's going to work for you. You know, and some people, you know, and part of our, our website, part of it, I think everybody's goal is to help people understand what's going to work for them as an individual. And that sometimes takes time, but you can't beat putting the shoe on to figure out it's going to work for you. So we can, you know, and I say this as somebody who has a website, right? And so wants to try to help people with that. And there's, there's so much you can read. And if you have an ex experience, you might be able to figure that out. But you got to get the shoe on your foot, I think. What do you think? <laughs> well, I'm a nihilist at heart, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, no, I, I, I kid. But like, honestly, uh, when it comes to innovation, it, it's with these foams and, and foam innovation, you know, I think we're still at the infancy of, of these developments in, in foams and polymer science. So th this problem isn't going away. The problem, it's not a problem, but this conversation isn't going to go away. You know, people, people in innovation, they're these, these graphs. It's a growth uh, in trajectory graph. And it's basically on the X is time. Um, and, and on the Y is, we'll call it advancement. Yeah. And, and it shows these series of like rep repeating S curves and, you know, at, at each meteoric jump, 
um, it comes to its peak and it sort of plateaus to level or sometimes it, it even sort of like dips down um, and downward. And, and that little blip is is called the trough of despair or the trough of dis- disillusionment. I, I think that's a, a bit melodramatic, but the, the process has been proven time and time again that, yeah. you know, I, I think we're still coming out of that trough and, and on the upswing in terms of these materials. So, you know, g- going back to saying I'm, I'm a nihilist, I'm not. I, I think you have to be a natural skeptic and a cynic to work in innovation. If you're, if you're not, you're doing it wrong, right? So, you, you have to explore all the points and counterpoints and challenge gospel because innovation is challenge and, and innovation is discord. So, this idea that you can't, that, that you don't, this idea that you would cross a shoe off of your list before you have it on your foot is, uh, you know, it's null hypothesis. Prove that it works for you. Prove that it doesn't work for you. You know, there, there's there's so much that, that products can offer you. You have to get them on your foot and you have to try them. It's, you have to look at it as, as the products and, and brand teams uh, in innovation look at it, which is prove to me it doesn't work. And, and, and then... I'll make my decision, which is sort of a scientific approach to looking at it. But it's, I'm saying the same thing as you. Get it on your yeah, foot, it, run it, in it. Yeah, get it. But I like the scientific approach. It's funny that you say that. Like, what you called it the the valley of despair. Is that even worse? What was it? What was it called? Again? <laughs> the trough. Trough of <laughs> the despair. Trough, the trough of despair. <laughs> That's yeah. more doable than the Valley of Despair. It's much longer. Uh, yeah. I yeah. feel like that that same. It's funny that 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 kind of same pathway is very similar for usually clinical growth of a lot of people. If you're continuing to move upward, and the funny part is what where innovation tends to go that way. A lot of times with clinicians, they'll they'll go through this bell curve of where when people start a lot of times, and this is I think any profession where they usually start out and like I know everything, I'm great, and then as they keep going, they just like I don't know anything i am an idiot i don't even know why i do this and then you slowly start coming out of it and you're like okay i'm more aware of what i don't know and i actually know how to work with that and i respect it and then you start coming out the other end like i'm not a total idiot but at least i'm i'm more aware of what happened over here it's yeah it's, that's great. I'm in, I'm in, I've, I've, and the, and it, it keeps doing this, right? And that's, you have to keep challenging your biases and challenging assumptions. And that's how you grow. And it's any, that's innovation or growth. And I think it's the same thing. And that's what's really cool is to hear you say, Hey, we've just had this crazy explosion in the last couple of years. And then to say, Yeah, we are just at like the beginning of this is really, really cool to hear, right? Cause we're already seeing stuff that blows my mind every day. Like I, if you every told day. me this, 10 years oh my gosh it's been 10 years um 10 12 years ago when i was working in running stores uh i'm gonna prep to process that for a second um (laughs) that like if you show when i was like just learning running shoes and all that kind of stuff those many many years ago and if you showed me some of the things now i would have my brain would have exploded i would have not had known what to do or how to process this at all and just now it's just normal it's just like it really is. It, it's yeah. it's impressive. You know, I I've been with Saucony almost 19 years. It, same thing. If you had asked me back then, you know, we're, we we are now bringing back shoes that I worked on originally. Um, that's nothing like that to make you feel um, a little long in tooth. But it, it it's you know we bring them back as as originals. You know, as our casual line, and you know. I I remember those original blueprints. Let's look at those materials. Oh gosh, they were so heavy. Oh my, why would we, why did we do that? Like just slap a Varus wedge in it and call it a day or, you know, hey, more shank, more TPU, you know, and, and the idea of, and we tested things back then too, but the idea of, of, of how we validate and, and prove that things work, it's just, it's a, it's a new conversation. And, yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a continual conversation. I think that to in 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 everyone's defense, right? When even you know nineteen twenty years ago, you're doing the best with all the information that you have, and that's what you have to keep challenging. Going, right? and someday I'm sure we'll look at Peebo Foams and going, is this you know maybe it is maybe but right. is this the best? What you know what have we learned? In terms of how the body's responding to it, what are these long-term effects of these foam? You know, we don't right. know that stuff oh, yet. Gosh. We have no, no. idea. So no. I'm sure and we'll look back. Th- yeah, that's that's a really important part because I, I think a lot of 
people maybe expect us to be further along with the, that research. And that research is so hard to conduct. And it sounds like such a cop-out, but, you know, to run those clinical studies and to run those, to filter that information is, is just so very difficult that you're right. And, you know, it, it, these might, I have to be careful how I say that, right? <laughs> the, who knows what these the long-term effects of some of these these materials will be. I don't think that they're the best materials that we'll come up with. To your point, you know, is PIBA going to be the the, the holy grail? Um, no, I don't know that we can get much higher than 95% efficient. I mean, it's just, again, laws of physics, it's it's going to be hard, but maybe you can continue getting lighter, you know, in, in terms of your, uh, the, the specific gravity of materials, like, they they weigh next to nothing and and then what how do you build how do you build that that's the problem too is you know we there are amazing materials but how do you manufacture them it's it's part of the reason why you know piba based materials and tpu based materials sort of blipped sort of <laughs> pit of trough of despair and then picked back up because it took a minute for us to us being the the footwear industry to to figure out how to mold and control and consistently get runners um product that feels good and, and behaves the way we want it to so it's um it's really interesting again it's it's so cool the the things that we can we can we can put on people's feet these days uh, I, I I know I told you a story in the office and I can't tell it here, but yeah. it, there are just amazing things happening in the world of, of polymer science. Yeah, I'm very excited. There's a lot, a lot of things I know we can't talk about here that I got to see. And I was like just geeking out. I was like, if I if my eyes open any wider, my they're going to pop out of my skull. So let me just put these back here. I was like, I it's, it's one of those things like and we were so honored to get to go and see this. And anytime we get to be part of this. Just the complexity of what goes into a shoe is astronomical. It's not just something that you put on your feet, although some people might feel like that. So much goes into this in terms of there's been years and years and years of development into how do we get this foam to actually, you know, we have this material. How do we mold it or make it work for what we intended to do? How do we get this to roll and move with different mechanics? And it's it's kind of like almost like having a child, right? Like you got it. Like it it comes out, and you're like, this is not ready to go out in the real world, and it takes a long time. Like even pe- I don't know if a lot of the view- listeners and viewers realize how long it takes a shoe to get to market. Yeah, and it's getting longer. Uh, yeah. we're heading in the wrong direction in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, no, I and and it's really hard as product people too that you have the pro and the speed three behind you. It's like that shoe is not out yet. How is that shoe not out yet? I, we wrapped that shoe eight months ago, nine months ago, now 10 months ago. You you know, it's, it's, it is a, it used to be a 12 to 14 month process. Now it's, it's getting above 16 months in some cases because we have to, commercialize everything and then um supply you know hashtag supply stream it's it's uh, yeah it's not a it's not a fun thing to talk about most of the time but to your point it's it's a lot and and when it finally hits the stores it's it's really interesting being in a product team is is really cool it's um it, getting to see something come to fruition but it's also really challenging because you are just now seeing the Pro 3 and Speed 3 and the Tempest and the Exodus Ultra. And we've wrapped those project projects a long time ago. And guess what? We're working on we're working on the Pro 4 now and and things of that nature. And we're going into it somewhat blind. You know, we're hoping that you guys like the Tempest and that it succeeds in what we've done our due diligence on testing and making sure that, you know, all of the product testing along the way is validating that we have created exactly what we wanted to create and that it's positive feedback. But, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, it's very hard at times to, to, um, to run headfirst at a wall that might or might not be there. It's, <laughs> it's one of those like, wipeout games you know there might be something behind that door we don't know so that's interesting that you're like and you've told we know this but just for the listener viewers that a lot of times you're starting work on the next product line or even sometimes even the the second or even third product line and the other one hasn't even hit the market yet so you're almost going how can we predict how this is going to go so we have a prediction and you also need to, to 
watch what actually happens while you're down the line, right? It's like doing like eight things at once, just trying to go, we hope this works. We've got, obviously, it's not hope, right? It's that there's, you put so much work into this that you'd have been able to test it. You have wear testers. There's all the stuff, feedback that you get as well. But that's an interesting challenge. It's like you're designing the next study while the other one still like hasn't even started yet. Well, not that I can judge. I'm literally doing that in the PhD program I'm in, I'm in right now. So <laughs> I don't I, doubt it. Yeah, on a very, it's at a very different level and probably equally stressful in different ways. But yeah, it's I understand, and that's hard. It's like, oh my gosh, how's this going to go? You know, because there's again, there's so many components that goes to material science, how the how people are responding to it, how the masses respond to it, and that's. Gosh, it must be always on your toes. Definitely, you got to keep your head so on. So clearly, swivel. you're a four foot runner. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I have a, <laughs> I have a twenty twenty one year old ACL replacement, so it can legally drink. Um, so I run on my forefoot and <laughs> on one leg, and and my heel on the other. Because most people are heel runners, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. The people don't get upset. Did I? Did you? Did you know that one of the Runners World articles I published uh, called "It's Okay to Be a Heel Striker"? I got like eight or nine people from different levels i had two people that were like plant phds that were screaming at me it was like like all caps i'm like did you really send this entire email in all caps people were so upset i'm like it's it's okay it doesn't make you less of a person if you land on your heel it's okay no, it does not you know we're we're lucky we sponsored jared ward and he's he's a solid heel striker and we love to we love to use him for for all sorts of research because of that you know i as as many people will claim that they're forefoot strikers or midfoot strikers most of them are not and it's okay to be a heel striker and don't worry we test for both both situations and for those those wondering the there's actually research on the ability of human beings to tell how their foot lands and it's garbage we are really bad at that which which uh paper is it that shows that when you even if you start running on barefoot you eventually will transition to heel running. Was that part of your paper? Yeah. I think it was. I can't remember. I don't know. Yeah. I don't remember who I know who you're, I know who you're talking about, but that, it, and it comes to doing, you know, it's efficiency, right? Just landing up front. It's a lot more in terms of those, those calf muscles, which will eventually fatigue. And it's not a mechanical issue to your body going, this is really, I need to switch to something else. And that's fine. We know as you, as the distance increases of, of these events of, of like running that, and the longer you get, the more likely you are to be a heel striker just because it is more efficient versus when you get shorter, right? It's You shouldn't be sprinting on your heel. That's not efficient for that. But you also maybe shouldn't be sprinting when you're trying to run a uh, 100 mile. So it's like, it's a tool, right? It's just different. It doesn't make it bad. It's just you got to figure out, is that, that going to work for you? And then you have people like Kenny Sibikele, who is supposedly a forefoot runner, but if you watch him run cross-country, he switches to whatever he needs. It's like, maybe it's a tool. Maybe you should learn to utilize a, a varied amount of movement strategies. And just nerding out from the neurologic world is that we've actually found the people that tend to have the least risk of falls – and especially as you get older, the people that have the most variability in movement strategies, like they can kind of do whatever they need to and they can get around it. Whereas the people that tend to have more issues are the people that use the same pattern over and over again, which may make if you're a runner, right, and running 100 miles, maybe that is good. You just need to use the same thing. But others, again, it just what are the needs of the runner? I'm just going to start geeking out because that's literally what I'm writing on at the moment for the dissertation is is masters runners and gate variability. So don't let me I love keep it. Going you were telling this. me about that. It was it, it yeah. sounds like really fascinating research actually. Yeah, I'm super excited because we're all getting older. I'm trying to figure out what is happening. How do I keep running? How do we keep running? <laughs> I love. By the way, I'm going to steal that because I have a patient who also has a their. I think they made a similar comment where their ACL is also 21 years old. And I didn't think, Hey, it's, it can legally drink. I'm going to use that, but I will cite you. Cause that is, uh, that is gold. That's fair. Thank you. <laughs> now going back to some of these foams. So, and you, you alluded to this going, Hey, you've got say 170 pound runner versus a hundred pound runner. And that's going to compress these foams very differently. But how, how are these, some of these newer foams during in terms of compression durability? 
It depends. In terms of how long are they holding on to that resiliency? It it, it depends. Uh, It depends on a lot of different things. Uh, Sort of the rundown I gave you at the very beginning, it depends on what the material is. It depends on how the material is is formed and molded. Um, Like I was saying about bead foams, bead foams, you have the cellular structure inside the skin of a bead. So the, the cellular walls also have... It's almost like putting balloons inside of a balloon um, without the compromise of weight. So that's the same density as other materials, but they're encapsulated. And that extra skin uh, around the bubbles can help really extend the life uh, and, and durability. And by durability, I mean compression set durability, repeated um, impacts um, versus something that might not have a bead foam. Now, that's not to say that every bead foam is going to be the best in terms of durability. It is just an example of how that cellular interaction is is helping helping and benefiting the material. Um, it does a lot of it does come down to the the material uh, type. Um, TPUs are just more resilient. Again, there's that word than um, some of the other materials like like an EVA, like a flat EVA. But again, most EVAs are not just EVA anymore. No, I can't think of any ones who would be. Um, so it, it's here's the here's the interesting thing. You know, it, it, everybody has access to the same stuff. Um, and I, in my mind, I can hear my team being like, oh, don't talk about that. But everybody has access to the same resin suppliers, right? So the, the BASFs, the DAOs, the DuPonts, the Arkemas, whoever it may be, the, (laughs) and this is so true in the cycling world too. So what? Okay. So we all have access to the same sort of root resins. The, a chef, a Michelin star chef can walk into a grocery store and use the same ingredients that I do, but trust me, you're going to want to eat that meal. And and that's, that is why all of this polymer science is, is so interesting. It's because everybody it's, I mean, this is literally a cooking show, right? Like they, they made a cooking show out of this. So <laughs> it's, everybody has access to these materials and what you can create with them is really special and really unique. And, and that's going to be the key to, you know, I, I really hope that people enjoy running in Saucony product because we spend a lot of time working on what goes into Saucony midsoles and midsole foams and, and the geometries and the templates and how they are all built. Cause it's, it's just a piece of the presentation and part of the meal, but it's, it's a uh, really, it really comes down to the the polymer science and and the manufacturing behind all of it, and uh, I I don't know how much I can repeat that for for all of your viewers is that you you've got to get it on your feet and you have to try it because they're they're all going to be so different and they're all going to be so um, unique to to a specific need and function. And that's again, we always appreciate that going. Everybody is unique. How everybody's going to respond to these shoes is going to be unique. And that's what obviously can obviously frustrates people because people always want to know what's the best shoe. It's like, no, 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 no. You, you can't ask that. It's like asking what's the best meal. It's going to depend on who made it, who's eating it, what their preferences are. And I think shoes are exactly the same way. But the 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 meal, the recipes are getting a little are getting a little crazy in terms of like it, it maybe it's just me living it, you know, kind of remembering where, where I, my brain started in the footwear world and going, this is nuts. And then going, and this is, and this is probably going to be in 10 more years. This is going to be, Oh, you know, this was basic stuff now. It's like, what? Yeah. I mean, getting back to, you had mentioned it before in terms of timelines, like the, the, the material that I mentioned that is 95% efficient, that shoe hasn't come out yet. Like that's, that's, we're just waiting for that to get into market. And that, you know, it's oftentimes it's a race to get things into market because you want to be first, but there's also a race to get things right and validate and all the rest. So um, it, it is an arms race. Um, and I know it's been called that plenty of times, Yes. Um, but, but what we, you know, what we as, as a product team do is try and make the best stuff for all the different types of reading. I, the runners, I, I'm sort of, repeating myself here, but you know, it's, I think the shoes behind you on the rack are an perfect example of that. Yeah. 
Wouldn't I'm so sorry. Wouldn't it be technically a foot race or feet race? No. I'm so sorry. I'm just... I apologize on behalf of all of your listeners. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> This is what yeah, people have to that, deal everyone. with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is what they should. If they're listening, they should it know this is coming. That, <laughs> it is an arms race, just from like like almost like like weaponized. Essentially, if you think about it, just the way, especially with some of the advertising stuff like that, it's just it really has, and it really has be, become. And some people have even talked about some of the stuff with, you know, the footwear companies you know, people foregoing sponsorships and stuff like that. But I think what's cool is you're starting to see the playing field level. And that's why we haven't gotten ready to read this, but I, I love this shoe. So very much. It's been really awesome. awesome. And it's really upsetting that I have to go and I've gotten enough miles on it's ready for review. And I'm actually really sad because I don't really want to review other things right now. So I've really enjoyed this, but that this is what's cool is to watch something that was like, I really enjoyed the endorphin pro one. And just to watch just that explosive leap to from, you know, Upper was doing really, really well on version two. And then this explosive leap into version three with you're still using what feels like the same material, but just you've changed geometry. You've changed so much that really changed the right of it to this very fun yet very aggressive shoe that it's very hard to take off. Not That's literally awesome. the upper is super. Goal. Yeah, the upper is super <laughs> comfortable. It's not hard. Yeah. To, it's because I don't want to take it. Not off. difficult. So yeah, clarify. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I, <laughs> yeah, I really no, I like. Mean, that, that, yeah, yeah, that is Go our goal. It. You know, if yeah. if I could have any like pin in, in in the map or feather in my cap, it would be you know here's a shoe. I don't want. I want you to not want to take it off. So. That's that's awesome. Good good news for our product team. Yeah, it's so different than years ago. I feel like you know shoes. You ran in them as much as you you know you got, had them on for the run, and you got them off as soon as you could afterwards because they just were not super comfortable. They did what they needed to, but I feel like <laughs> it's it's improved. Like that's why you know for me now I still understand why people have sandals, but I'm like, why if the shoe's comfortable enough for you, why would you be needing to take it off and walk around in a sandal? afterwards like that's footwear comfort's really important but that's you know i'm a nerd and read all the research on measuring footwear comfort and what that needs means so that's just me but it's such a huge component it's it like, is but you know just i, I know we, we always come back to this sort of thing in in, in this conversation but the going back to laws of physics right the energy you're putting into your shoe is still going into your shoe. So people are feeling better in these new these new fleets of product, right? But what's happening? It's a really interesting thought, right? And I know I know you particularly will will look into this sort of stuff, but that energy has to go somewhere and it's going back into your body. It's going back into your body somehow. Where is it going? And we need to help we, you know, part of our process is help, trying to figure that out as well. So, you know, it's, that's a, and that's appreciated because a lot, I feel like a lot of times, especially like other, other, um, products, I think don't always look at what are the, you know, we're trying to make this stuff for, as a, you know, for consumers, but then also ask the question, what is this doing to the consumer in terms of, you know, this is not, this is not an unsafe product, obviously, but then asking like, it's a tool, right? And tools need to be utilized for certain things and may or may not work for different people. And that's part of the education that I really appreciate that we we talked about is going, you know, hey, when should you use this? When may be the best time? And then there may other be times it may not be appropriate. How do you figure that out? And that's a challenge that, again, people ask these questions, but we haven't, you know, I think I know that you've seen some of it, but just having a really large data set, we just don't have this on on the larger population in terms of what happens when you put them in a super bouncy foam Versus a super firm foam. We don't know what happens long term. Do people start getting the the hypothesis would be if you put people in a stiffer foam, a a, 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 a softer foam that they would start to stiffen their mechanic, mechanics up. But we don't know. We have no idea. So that's that's the fun part about you know. There's still so much to explore. Although I'd love to explore that. But when I was talking to uh, Malazo off air when I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm doing this PhD program. And he just stops and go, don't do that for your PhD. You can do that afterwards. But if you want to finish it, 
Yeah. Do that afterwards. And I'm like, oh, I know. I, when you told me just, that, I couldn't believe yeah. it. I, yeah. I, at first, it's like, wait, why? That's a great idea. Oh, yeah. I understand. Yeah. All right. Well, we we want you to graduate sometime in the next. Yes. Time. I would like to, to graduate Decade. and not be eaten, eaten alive repeatedly by my advisors going, there's all these variables that we don't understand because we're not footwear people, but we're still going to chew you out alive. And it's like, oh. Yes. So work on that. But yeah, that's, I feel like the, that's the fun part. And I feel like that's where to me, a shoe like the Tempest is really exemplifying asking, how do we make this work for so many different people? And how do we, how do we problem solve? How do I already forget the term, my brain, I'm losing it. How do we, how do we solve a unique problem for each runner? Right. In terms of what's the specific to them, what do they need and how can we try to encompass them while several others. And again, that's where I think that concept, especially when it comes to wrapping back up to stability of going, how do we help guide people for Because at the end of the day, that's what running is. Well, it's supposed to be unless you're falling over is running should be a bit going for Right. I mean, you know, sometimes trail <laughs> running. What was it? Somebody was telling me the other day, I was that like, they. oh, it was one of the master's runners I was working with. And he goes, yeah, I thought it was normal to fall every time I, I went for a trail run. I'm like, oh, I know. Uh, uh, I no. I went for a trail jog uh, on Monday of last week. Yeah. And uh, I, I pride myself on being a you know, ex athlete. And I caught my toe. Hey, hey, on, hey, hey, I, hey, hey, I you're still an athlete. I'm, I'm I'm an aging athlete. I caught my toe on a route and completely yard sailed on on the trail. And there was like 20, 20 yards left on on the trail run. Uh, but I was wearing this bright green shirt, and I was just it had just rained, and I was just covered in mud. And I had to walk to do this walk of shame back out into the to my car. Um, yeah, it's. It happens to us all. It happens to everyone. It's happened to both my wife and I, my wife, who's the professional trail athlete where I've seen her eat yeah, the ground. Right? And then I'm like, <laughs> oh, look at that. And then I'm not looking. And while I'm like making, no, I don't make fun of her, but I'm like, look at that. Aren't you professional? And then I, of course, hit the ground because I'm not paying attention, especially those last couple meters where you're not paying uh, attention. All. Yeah, I can't. Uh, I can't. Tired, judge. Just I have, wanting to get out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, have a couple, I, I wish I could blame the uh, footwear, right? But no you know, user error. <laughs> yeah. I have a couple of old, old scars on my knees from some fun falls. My wife actually has the same thing. She has one that's worse where she fell so bad that she like opened up her knee and had to go to the emergency room and I get sewn back. And this is before I met her. But trail running is not for the, the, the faint of heart. You got to be ready for anything. And that includes falling. But you should not be falling every couple steps. That's it. But anyway, tangent. But the goal, again, with footwear is helping people get forward, helping them whether it's performance, whether it's enjoyment, right? And everybody's going to have something different they're looking for. And I think that's, again, where you're getting back to going, there's so much that goes into this. You cannot assume that just because it says a certain material that it's going to perform a certain way. It's really important to make sure that, you know, you can read reviews like the ones we put out or, you know, at the end of the day, you got to be able to look and test this stuff. Because even when you're talking about, you know, I remember you mentioned, hey, just there's no plate in here, but, but remember the purpose of plates is to stiffen the sole. There's lots of other ways to do that. So just because it doesn't have a plate doesn't can't mean it's a racing shoe for somebody or it can't be a training shoe. It just depends on the person and asking what do you as an individual need? And I, and people have heard me say this before. It's not what your neighbor needs. It's not what your running partner or your running enemy or your rival is. What do you need? And that's the fun part is these products now are becoming diversified enough that there, there. I think there is a solution or a something for everyone. It just takes a little experimenting to figure out what that is, and that's the fun of like this continuing to evolve and going. All right, I need to also evolve with it. Whether you're a product developer, going, how do we continue to innovate and create? Whether you're a runner, going, how do I keep figuring out what's working for me in this very this changing landscape of footwear? And then for clinicians, going, how do we keep up knowing how this is affecting people? And how can we help, you know, for us, it's, it's the fun of trying to go, how can we have a fun time trying to see if we can bridge the gap in terms of mechanics and rehab and stuff like that. But it's, it's fun. And if it was the same, it would be boring and people would not last in this, but it's always changing no. and that's what makes it fun. No, I, I like the word you use there, diverse, diversification. And, you know, it, that's, I think that's a perfect wrap on it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Oh, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. It's always a huge pleasure and a blessing to have you and get to talk with you. Any last words of things that you think people should be aware of in this big changing landscape of footwear? Anything people should 
like a one sentence thing of what people should pay attention to or what people should be looking forward to maybe the more fun thing. Oh, looking forward to that's great. I I think you have to be, you have to be open to try things. And uh, I encourage you to obviously try our product, but try on anything and everything and see what works for you. Because, uh, you know, I, I think you at doctors running specifically, thank you for having me, but you guys are, um, I should say you, you, you folks, cause I know you have, uh, a couple others outside of just the three that I'm normally see. you guys are, um, I just did it again. You, <laughs> you folks are doing things differently and not all product review content is created equal. And what I really appreciate is the perspective and approach that you have in in looking at product. And I think that's my advice is take your advice. We listen to what you have to say as well. And and then that's try things on, try product and, you know, be exploratory with it because there's a lot out there that product can offer you. And I think in order to really truly experience it, you have to get it on your foot. I think those are excellent words of wisdom that I think you and I have said probably 40 times during this episode, but that's okay. It must clearly be important if we're both saying that, but (laughs) Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. And again, for all of those listening or viewing, there's lots of different ways to watch us and follow along what we're doing. We're going to have a lot of Saucony stuff coming out and we are super excited for that. But again, check us out. We're on a variety of different platforms. We're obviously on um, we're on Spotify, we're on YouTube, we've got Instagram, we've got Facebook. As always, I got to give a shout out to Bach, who would like people to know that he has a wonderful LinkedIn that he's working on for us that has exploded recently. And it, there's all kinds of content we're putting out, even especially on the website, which we've got all these new guides. And we're trying to do the same thing, diversify out. We've got this new walking guide that we've got out, the stability guide for people that want that. It's a place where we want people to be able to learn. So please follow us. Again, like, subscribe, whatever you're going to do, leave a comment. We always appreciate it. And we hope this stuff is helpful because it's fun getting to try all this stuff and then hopefully teach and be able to share what we're learning so that each person can also learn about what works best for them. 